Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe, and each week I'm joined by a panel of guests to discuss all things fandom and pop culture, primarily from a female perspective. You'll find everything from fanfic, to cosplay, to Schitt's Creek, to Supernatural, and everything in between. So put on your favorite piece of fandom merch, set aside that fanfic that you're writing about your OTP, and sit back and enjoy this week's episode. Hello, and welcome to It's a Fandom Thing. On this week's episode, we're going to be discussing the show Big Mouth, which I am very new to, but I binged so much of this show that I had to kind of make myself stop watching it because it was a lot to take in, like one big chunk. At least I broke it up, but still a lot to take in. But so this should be fun. And we have a first time panelist on with us, but not a first time podcaster by any stretch. So I'm very excited about that. But first, before we get into that, just a couple of housekeeping notes. Of course, we are taking listener support for as little as 99 cents a month to $9.99 a month. If you want to support the show, click the link in our show notes or head on over to our anchor page and click listener support there. And also remember, we have our Redbubble store live. So if you need a new mask, a new mug, a sweatshirt, whatever it is, go over there, pick up some merch. And remember, 50% of what we see from that and listener support is going to one Black Lives Matter organization per month. Okay, so I'm going to have my panel introduce themselves and tell me one thing they're into in pop culture right now. And Meg, who hasn't been on since December 31st, is back. <laughs> I'm so excited to have you back on the show, Meg. Well, you needed to me. take a break from me. It's okay. <laughs> I've noticed that it's either I'm on for like every single episode for three months or I'm not anywhere near the podcast for for weeks at a time. And I'm like, hmm, does she plan it that way? <laughs> um, but yeah, so I'm Meg and I'm currently catching up on Doctor Who for your for your podcast episode about Doctor Who. And then our my daughter is watching it. So that's been fun to occasionally pop in and watch with her and her dad <laughs> awesome and I, that's one i've got to watch before we record that that's coming up in a couple of weeks listeners we're going to be doing a lot of sci-fi soon so keep it's a lot out to, for that. to put in in a couple of weeks be <laughs> really impressed no yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like i don't it's very hard for me to find stuff that i'm into each week because i am just researching and studying and binging so it's just like that's all my life is and with us for the first time is meg's husband marty so marty what are you into right now well uh meg kind of touched on it the the big doctor who binge in our house because i'm bringing our 12 year old through it this will be my fifth watch through from front to back but i'm also watching flash 
with my nephew. So I'm doing a rewatch with him as well. He is really hanging with the 12 year olds. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> he's real cool. Let's be honest. That's, you know, <laughs> as an adult man, that's that's my wheelhouse is intellect at a 12 year old level. It's all fart jokes. It makes it work. <laughs> well, it works out because we're actually in our basement right now yeah. recording. And our basement is Doctor Who themed. You can just see behind us. Yeah, yeah. Got the I know. Behind us. <laughs> I know. I, I was noticing that once we started, I'm like, oh, it's just Doctor Who, wall to wall Doctor Who. <laughs> and this <Yeah>. is Aaron. <laughs> and I'm into, I took a break from all my prep for podcasting and I watched, this will shock you, Meg, but I watched something on Shudder. No way. Something that will be so up your alley <laughs> called The Dark and the Wicked. And it terrified me. I mean, absolutely terrified me. I even said out loud, this is so flippin' scary. So, Meg, you should go check this one out. Oh, yeah. Let me go. Let me hop on there right away. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You'll love it. But, yeah, that's on Shutter. that little uh, streaming network that I mention, you know, every once in a while. <laughs> it's so funny because, so I listen, I listen to your podcast as well as guest on it. And now I'm getting advertisements I'm seeing from Shudder and they're like, hey, you can join. I'm like, hey, <laughs> really don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> but There's at least not enough that. true crime. <laughs> that's, that's true. That's true. That's true. Okay, well, let's get into Big Mouth. And I want to just start off by saying, by asking actually, um, have you both been watching it since it first aired, since it first started, Meg? No, we we binged it kind of at the behest of Meg's sister and her husband. We were we were on vacation. The kids were in bed. We were you know having drinks, and uh, I think it was Justin, our brother in law. He's just like, "Have you guys ever seen this?" He's like, "It is wild." And we watched the first episode there, and we're like, "Yep." We're definitely going to watch this. And so I think we binged the first three seasons all at once. Well, it was it was horrifying in a way. So we, we were staying at a cabin and the kid's bedroom was in a loft. And we are down in the living room. All the kids were supposed to be in bed. And so we're going through Netflix and Big Mouth comes on as a thing. That's and funny. our seven-year-old at the time was like, Big Mouth? Are you guys going to watch Big Mouth? And we're like... We're like, uh, and we hadn't wa- we hadn't seen it yet, but my brother-in-law was just like, his eyes oh, got to be the size of dinner plates, and he's like, my God, <laughs> have you seen this? And she's like, no, I just recognize the you know the picture and the sound. Like, uh. And then we watched it, and we we realized why he was so horrified because yeah. holy smokes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, if your kids were watching this at seven years old, oh my gosh. I mean, as an adult, some of the stuff uh, that I was much. watching is just, I mean, the fact that you have a character that has sex with pillows all the time and impregnates a pillow and, the fact and then a, a bath arc. mat. I mean, I was like, I have never seen anything like this. I, not even, you know, with Beavis and Butthead when you were growing up, you know, that show or any of those. It, Still, this seems like it pushes even more boundaries. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So it's 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 a lot. It's a lot. So I'm, like I said, brand new to it. So I just recently started watching it. Um, so what are some of your favorite episodes, Meg? Um, oh, man. See, normally I would take notes. Um, the Department of Puberty in season two is probably one of my favorite episodes. And it's the episode where... 
Um, we get introduced to the depression kitty and we kind of delve a little bit more into the mental health aspects of puberty. Like I have no idea what it's like to be a 12 year old boy <laughs> for sure. Sure you do. You watch big mouth. <laughs> yeah. No, no, apparently I, I absolutely do. Um, but that was probably one of my favorite ones. Another one I really liked in season four was probably the, I'm sorry, was probably the four stories about hand stuff. That was interesting. I really liked um, how to have an orgasm was one I really like. And then even honestly, the the premiere when we talk about am I normal and it kind of goes through all these changes that that these kids are going through, which it's such a weird, weird show. But I also think it's really interesting to watch as a parent of a middle schooler. Oh, yeah. <laughs> to kind of put yourself back in that mindset of what a horrible time mm-hmm. this really is in life. And it helped me get a little bit. So I have a, I have a lot of favorite episodes. I don't have a lot of titles off the top of my head. Um, but I, I don't know. I think they're, they're all pretty special. You're, you're talking like it's an after school special and, uh, <laughs> you know, in a lot of ways, they kind of almost try to pose things from that perspective where, and it sounds weird to say that I think there is kind of like a underlying educational effort and not you know, not necessarily on the front end, you know, we're, we're not introducing parents to these concepts, but the, just kind of like Meg was saying, bringing back those memories and those feelings that you probably had in middle school. And especially, you know, if you have friends, family members, children, whatever the case may be, who are going through those circumstances, I think with the, at least with the difference in time for us from when we went through it to now, it kind of gives you that like, Oh, Hey, you know, it was, it was passing notes for you, but now it's like inappropriate text messages. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, what is that new lens that puberty in middle school is coming through? Yeah. Well, and the shame wizard, I think I I forgot to mention, that's another good one. That's an interesting character. And that kind of brings out like, it's so it's, it's neat is not the right word, but it's, it is kind of a really interesting storyline to see. So up until like halfway through or a little bit in the beginning of season two, like these kids are going through all of these changes and they're very confused, but they don't have any kind of, they don't have any sense of shame. It's not anything that's weird necessarily to them. It's hellish, but it's not weird. And then the shame wizard comes and like all of their anxieties, all of their issues kind of, bloom from this and i and i really do like how these different emotions and like the hormone monsters and things like that are all like actual characters um that the kids interact with yeah and struggle with well and it's interesting how some of them have the same characters some of them have different characters so like they all have the shame wizard but some of them share a hormone mon- monster. Some of them have different hormone monsters. Some of them have Rick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, it, yeah, it's the the kind of... I, I think it's an interesting way to kind of paint the similarities 
So like the kids who share the hormone monsters, it's like, okay, those are, you know, some shared experiences that they might go through and same with like the, the shame wizard, but the characters who have different hormone monsters and how that presents itself and how that looks, you know, it's just a, from an, from an autistic standpoint, it's You're uh, so cool. I, I'm very cool. Yes. Yes. Thank you for acknowledging it. Uh, it's a, it's just a, it's a, it's a neat artistic choice to, you know, to draw the similarities through a, a shared hormone monster rather than, you know, like making them part of the same club. Cause like, you don't really see a bunch of click type of stuff. I mean, on on the girl side, you see clicks with uh, Devin and in. Oh, oh my god! He's gonna do these. I'm so sorry. Yep, yep. No, it's funny. Uh, it's okay. necessary. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like you, you see the clicks and stuff on on the girl side of the aisle, but you don't really see as much of the click side click stuff on the guy side of the aisle. And I think it's a a neat way to show the similarities by having the same hormone monster rather than having it be represented through clicks, which is, you know, what just about every other like, you know, school type situation does. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, th- I think that's, what's so interesting about this show is even though it is something you never, you don't want kids to watch this show, of course, <laughs> but at the same time, this is stuff that you really do when you are going through those changes, you really are thinking about a lot of this stuff and you don't understand why you're thinking about this stuff and you don't understand why other people are thinking about this stuff or you feel weird because you're like, nobody else is probably thinking about this stuff, but yet everybody is thinking about this stuff. So it's such a hard time, and I think it would be so much harder to be a teenager now because mm-hmm. of the fact that you have social media and all of that pressure on top of the pressure that you're already feeling, and so you're under a microscope already, and so you're going through these changes. You don't know what's going on with your body. You don't know what these new awakenings are. You don't understand it. You don't know how to fit in necessarily, especially if you're awkward in any way, it's, it makes it even harder. And then on top of that, to have the pressure of social media and to have the pressure of, got to get these many likes if you're on social media, you've got to be on social media, you've got to have a phone, you've got to have all that stuff. It's just such a pressure cooker kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what's so interesting about this show is that even though you don't want kids to watch this, this is so relatable to when you were a teenager. It's like so accurate to what you are going through. I mean, granted, there's other stuff that isn't, but <laughs> <laughs> it's it's a it's a completely wild show. And that's why I think Am I Normal is probably one of the most relatable episodes of, of it because it is something that everyone is asking yep. when you're that age. Is this normal? Is what's happening to my body something that's happening to somebody else? Like, am I a freak? As, is there something wrong with me? And all of that insecurity and uncertainty. And I think this show does a really, really good job of dialing into that and dying, dialing into what it's like to be that age. And yeah, it's been a substantial number of years since we were that age. Um, and it's kind of easy to forget how hard it is to be a kid mm-hmm. and just in general, but especially now. And like I said, we have a 12 year old, so it, yeah. it hits a bit different now than I think it would have if we didn't have kids when this came out too. 
Yeah, I think that a whole parenting perspective, especially with what you see Dealing of with the, the parents, monster every day. Well, not even, you know, <laughs> not even that. I mean, that's that that's kind of the the obvious one. But I think it's a, a neat perspective that they show with the parents. So there's there's like the different, you know, stages of like a troubled house where it's like, okay, there's, you know, there's a, a family who's going through a divorce and, you know, how does that impact the child? But then there's Jay's family, which is just like <laughs> family in quotes. Oh my Lord. It's just, you know, a, a giant crap fest the whole way through. And you see, you know, kind of how, how it impacts the kids differently, how, how it impacts like, I mean, they don't go as much into it, but the like the relationships between the parents and stuff like that. And it, you know, it provides some unique and interesting insights mm-hmm. and you can kind of see, you know, where, <laughs> not where, like where you land or where you measure on that scale of parenting. But you, I mean, yeah. <laughs> well, what you see is you see like little reflections of yourself from all the different characters, which is, I think, what also makes it so relatable. I mean, like I was a 12 year old boy. I I never had sex with a pillow. Um, you didn't but... warm up kidney beans and plastic eggs? Lentils. Oh my God. Lentils, Sorry. Not kidney beans, lentils. <laughs> he tried uh, kidney beans or something and it wasn't the right consistency. <laughs> yeah, something like that. But like you absolutely heard about stuff like that as a kid. Well, and it's so you know, bizarre. Like a that... bowl of oatmeal or something like that. <laughs> and, this, and it's so bizarre that this show has like these two huge extremes. Like on one extreme, we do have a whole storyline about a kid who has sex and marries and has a quote unquote baby with a pillow. And then also is like discovering his bisexuality through a couch cushion. Like it's, it has all of this really out there crazy stuff on one end. And then on the other end, there are some really, really poignant um, messages and storylines about what it's like to, to grow up. Mm -hmm. Well, and like normalizing the different sexualities too. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. I like this show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's, I, I mean, and also there's body acceptance in it. There's, mm-hmm. you know, the whole episode with, you know, all, all the girls struggling with the fact that one girl comes back over the summer and she's, you know, she's really filled out and they haven't. And then dealing with the fact that all these boys are paying attention to her and why are they paying attention to me? And, all that. And then uh, the scene where they go, isn't it at a spa and all the women are naked and you're seeing all yeah. these different body types. And that's so important because, you know, that's something I struggle with still to this day. That's something we just constantly struggle with as women is that body acceptance. And so it is, it is interesting that it pushes the boundaries and you do have that with one kid having sex with pillows all the time. But on the other extreme, you also have this message of acceptance and accepting who you are and accepting the changes that you're going through and accepting, like you said, different sexualities and different identities. And that that's very, very impressive to be able to do that in a show like this because I think a lot of times when shows want to push the boundaries, they just want to push the boundaries Mm-hmm. And they don't care necessarily about saying something, but this show definitely cares about actually saying something. So, yeah. Right. Well, and and even when you have a character like Jay, who is quite ridiculous in his storylines <laughs> and everything, he's also incredibly relatable. You still care about him, 
you still want him to be happy and to make his way through life. And I think honestly, as outlandish as, as his stuff goes, and obviously this is not a show for kids. Part of me kind of wishes that it would dial it back yeah. a bit. So it would be something that would be appropriate for kids because I think kids, I think kids could benefit from a message of whatever weird shit you're doing. Mm-hmm. You're still a valid person. You still are worth caring about. You're still quote unquote normal. Cause there's no such thing as normal. Everyone right. has their weird shit that they're dealing with and you don't necessarily know what they're dealing with. So part of me wishes that it was a little bit less mm-hmm. out there or they had like a version of it that was a little less <laughs> a out PG there version just because I think it has some really good messages. Well, and I, I think, I mean, you're, it, you're spot on with like the messages that it provides, but I think that would also be for the families that struggle to have those conversations it could be something that you could sit down and watch together and, you know, it could be the intro to those conversations. Because I think a lot of times when, you know, when kids have the anxiety or like that kind of self-doubt and questioning themselves, it starts with what are mom and dad going to think or, you know, mm-hmm. what's, you know, what are the, you know, the parent, the parental figures going to do if I share this piece of me with them and how is everything how how are things going to change? change yeah and and that's scary for kids yeah because you know if you feel if if you have a safe place at home it makes it a heck of a lot easier to be yourself everywhere else because you know that at least there's one spot where you know i can let my guard down i can be accepted i don't have to have those concerns and you know probably yeah not to be cheesy about it, but, you know, make the world a better place. If every Mm -hmm. kid knew that whoever they truly are, you know, they can let that guard down and be that person at home. And if there were a softer (laughs) version (laughs) of this show, you know, it might be an easier way to have those conversations. Mm -hmm. I will say though, this show has really doubled down on my happiness that we don't have a son. (laughs) <laughs> be just because of laundry oh. <laughs> and our water bill you don't want a, a, a starched tube sock that you could use as a billy club <laughs> just seeing how many things boys will bone or how often they take your business I'm just like jesus <laughs> that's funny well has this show, though, made you view the coming years that you're going to have with your daughters differently or made you think about different ways to approach discussing things with them? Um, I think it's actually been, I think for me, at least, it's been really helpful kind of just to remind myself that even though there's things that I can't see that she is struggling, that our daughter is struggling with. Like, I can't see them, but they're very, very real to her. So when we talk about something like the hormone monster or when we talk about the shame wizard or anxiety mosquito and like and all these other Mm -hmm. things like I no one else can see them but the kids who are dealing with it. And I think that's really interesting to kind of remind myself because it's very easy to forget how hard it is to be a kid going through puberty. It's easy Mm -hmm. to forget that. Like once you're through, like no one ever says, Oh God, I really wish I could go back to middle school. That was the highlight of my life. 
Um, <laughs> but it's easy to forget that kind of as a parent and to think a little bit more about your own feelings and what's going on in the situation and to get so frustrated to be like, why is this, why will you not just listen to what I'm telling you and, and do what I'm asking you to do? Um, but to try and remember that she's got all of this other stuff going on that she doesn't have any control over and she doesn't necessarily understand why she's feeling the way she's feeling has, it has actually been really, really helpful to me. And then just to remember how shitty it is to be in middle school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think for me, it's kind of, it's very much along the same lines of, you know, like, Hey, remember the total head case you were at this age? Yeah. Just cut her, cut her some slack, cut her some slack, take a breath. You know, when when she says, just a minute, okay, I'll give you just 10, 20, half an hour, whatever the case may be. And realizing that, you know, there's there's a whole kind of mental Rolodex of thoughts, concerns, and issues that are going on behind her scenes that are not being shared with us, but are just as valid that as everything that we can see and that we do hear about. And yeah, it's, you know, it's, it serves as a good reminder and kind of like I was saying before, the, the uh, current technology version mm-hmm. of things that, you know, could influence those feelings and stuff like that. So I, I mean, overall, I think it's absolutely a beneficial show to watch, uh, you know, as, blunt as they can be about things yeah as super gross one well, i think it's <laughs> even right away in that credit scene i think i think other things that that's really cool is it shows the difference between what this time is differences between boys and girls about what this mm-hmm. time is mm-hmm. like like i said i was never a 12 year old boy i did not realize quite mm-hmm. how out there because <laughs> from what Does marty has told Does from what marty fit? has told me it feels oh, yeah. it's like yeah this is true <laughs> and this is something that nick roll and um, Andrew Goldberg, two of the creators, it's kind of based on their growing up yep. in a Connecticut town as best friends. So it's interesting to kind of see them. And and I think it also is helps. I'm going to speak for Marty because he's right here. Um, <laughs> I'm, just I'm kind going of, to be short on words. Just kind of understand, <laughs> but understanding, having a daughter and understanding the different dynamics that are in play for a girl going through this versus a boy going through this. And this actually does a good job of, of showing those differences. Yeah. Yeah. Because I mean, we, we were on the tail end or not, you know, like the mid to tail end of puberty when we met. Yeah. I was 15 when we met. So and I was 16. And so like we were, you know, to, to say we had a handle on things would be a gross overstatement. <laughs> hey, you uh, had a handle. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just hoping you would hold it. <laughs> but but to say like that that we you know we understood like what was going on and stuff like that is obviously a gross overstatement for a 15 and a 16 year old. But we at least knew how to kind of keep our heads above water with like the emotions and stuff. So like I never saw the front end stage of uh, you know stages of puberty with you and that's not really conversations that we ever had because we talk about my most traumatic 
experience. Well, I mean, yeah, I've I've heard the singular story. Like we've I've heard your Jesse moment. Yeah, so that I really it really hit me home. Jesse's episode when she gets her first period. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yes, pilot. It hit so hard because I was 11 years old and I got my first period at school and everyone saw, and I called my dad because my mom's. You've never met my mom, but she is a treat. Um, but she's not necessarily someone I felt comfortable calling with at the time. So I called my dad, and his idea was to – he just grabbed some clothes and brought them to me, and he brought me clothes that were too small. And they were, like, overalls. They were white and blue striped oh. overalls. You basically became Missy. <laughs> yeah, I basically became Missy. And he I had to stay at school. Like – Everybody knew what had happened, and it followed me through middle school. Like, everybody knew what happened. Once I got to high school and there were some more kids from other schools going into high school, it kind of faded out. But 11 years old, getting your first period and having literally the entire class see before anyone said anything to the teacher to let me know what was going. It was it was horrifying. And, mm-hmm. and but so now, that resulted it's a fun in a, story. In a very specific and explicit set of instructions that I was given. Yeah. <laughs> that <laughs> you know, thankfully I you know I didn't have to to dodge that bullet because I think it was a weekend, right? It was spring break right before. Well, yeah. she, I'm sure she's excited of us uh, talking about this. It was actually <laughs> the beginning of the pandemic because mm-hmm. it was spring break, and then she just hasn't been back to school. <laughs> yeah. But you know, I, my my instructions were retrieve the child, get you know four hundred gallons of whatever ice cream she wants in all the various flavors, come home and just sit and and you know don't even push the topic of returning to school, just you know all right I'll come get you don't worry about it I'll be there in five. Well, and, and I don't know. I feel like we were pretty lucky. She had no qualms just being like, hey, this happened. Yep, yeah. I was very embarrassed, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you got a text message. Yeah. She's just like, hey, by the way, this happened. Today. This happened. Like, yeah. All I, right. I, I, I had chicken pox when I got mine. So I had chicken pox at the same time <laughs> that that happened. So I wasn't in school. So I was home because I had chicken pox. But it was like, okay, on top of everything, this is happening because. You know, it's supposed to be this amazing moment where you're entering womanhood, but at the same time, it's so terrifying because you don't want people to know. Mm-hmm. And yet there's this weird competition with women and with girls where it's like whoever gets their first period is somehow superior, but at the same time, you don't want other people to know. And it's the same thing with bras and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, it's this weird mix of shame and like competition. Mm-hmm. And pride isn't necessarily the right word, but and I think a lot of that has to be with how your parents kind of approach that subject. If your parents are like really nervous and wishy washy about about the changes to your body, then that makes you feel it gives you the shame wizard <laughs> <laughs> to bring it back to Big Mouth. No. <laughs> Yeah, but then yeah, there's right. the other end of the spectrum of the oversharing, like Nick's parents. Ugh. God love them, but oh my gosh, <laughs> very true. <laughs> well, let's talk about the characters. So I want to know what some of your favorite characters are, Meg or Marty. Oh, I, first. <laughs> um, I I'm not used to going first. <laughs> I know I'm letting you go first in this episode, but go, um, whoever wants to go first, go for it. Well, I'm just going to interrupt him anyway. Um, so 
Connie is probably one of my all-time favorite. I love Connie, the hormone monstrous. Um, she's just, she's hilarious. I, and I mean, it's Maya Rudolph. Yeah. <laughs> but I think Missy is probably the character I relate to the most <laughs> in a lot of ways. Just kind of being that little nerdy kid who and I and she's slow to develop. I was not slow to develop or anything like that, but just kind of feeling a little like you don't fit in. And I think the story about how, especially in season four, Missy's story of kind of coming into her own and discovering who she is as um, a mixed race person. And I think that's not something I can relate to, obviously, but she's probably one of my favorite characters. I really have enjoyed watching her journey and her growth. I love Jessie also. She drives me a little bit insane, but I have a soft spot for her because of that pilot episode. <laughs> and then when she goes to camp and she tries to go swimming in pads and oh. it soaks up the whole lake. <laughs> it's, 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 it's like pulling in airplanes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. Those are probably... I mean, I I relate to all of the guys in one way, shape, or form. Mm-hmm. I I think I probably most closely relate to Andrew because I was awkward and I had like one or two really close friends and like when girls started to come into the picture that tried those friendships because we were horrible young boys and you know who grew into horrible old men (laughs) well we were (laughs) we were all trying to like have those experiences and like i i still remember like the the friend of ours who had sex first he was very much feeling superior and we viewed him as superior for a while until we realized he's still the same guy and we can still make fun of him and tease him for the same reasons and all that jazz. And so, uh, you know, that, that path kind of happens with Andrew and Nick where it's like, you know, they're, they're best friends and they're going through it together. And then do they want the same person? And that well, and one of and Andrew is is developing at a faster rate than Nick, and there's so much insecurity that kind of comes right with Nick for that. Like when he wouldn't take a shower because he was he hasn't started he hasn't really started puberty yet. Right. Yep. His hormone monsters keep getting fired. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I I think I probably closest you know closely relate with Andrew, but. There's shades of Nick and shades of Jay that that I absolutely relate to as well. Uh, but I, uh, yeah, I think uh, who am I kidding? I, I probably uh, most relate to Steve, <laughs> Coach Steve. <laughs> Let's drive a Coach Steve. Oh God, that was another one of my favorite episodes when they did the queer eye. Yes, that was, that was an amazing. <laughs> His one. Diaper march. <laughs> But Maury is what I was going to say. I'm like, realistically, I'm like, wait a minute. It doesn't have to be a person. I probably most closely relate with Maury because that was 
you know, like it was, it was all about like, how do I get off next when I was going through puberty? What are these, what are these weird, (laughs) what kind of weird shit can I do? Yeah. Well, it was more, more of like the self-discovery aspect. Not like, like, Hey, let's be weird for the sake of being weird. Let's send my cousin a dick pic. That was fun. Let's try like, you know, the next thing over and, you know, the, the shame of being caught at certain points and it's just, yeah, Maury, Maury was driving the, the bus that was my brain at that point. Full-time. Well, and I think I think part of what I like about Missy Two and what was kind of relatable is when you talk about like these are these are like 12, 13 year old kids, and they're all just like hormones, 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 sex, 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 sex. And Missy is kind of on the cusp of that a little bit. She's still very, especially in the beginning, she's still a kid in in a lot of ways, and she just wants to enjoy her kind of nerdy things. Like I remember. I remember being like at 11 years old or 12 years old and a lot of that was still such a hard time because you were like, you still felt like a little kid. You still kind of wanted to do kid stuff, like play with toys and stuff. It's different now for kids because technology has kind of pushed them Mm -hmm. into growing up a lot faster, but kind of going over that hump from child to, to a teenager, we can see that with Missy in a lot of ways. And I think that's kind of relatable too. like when she's still wearing her little cute overalls and, and has a hard time letting that go because that represents her childhood and, and that nervousness that people aren't going to treat her the same or see her the same. Like this, this is going to change everything if she gets rid of this, this part and being really scared of that, I think is really relatable. Mm Yeah. Yeah. Because that was one of those things where even as an adult, it was like, it gets really nerve wracking to tell me like, we got pregnant. I got pregnant with my oldest daughter. And I remember being really nervous to tell people about it because I was one of the first of my friends to have a kid. So it was, it was one of those situations and being really kind of afraid of how is this going to change the dynamic with all of the people in my life? How will this change my dynamic and relationship with my parents or with his parents? And it turned out well, which is good. Mm-hmm. I still remember <laughs> what your dad said when we went to go tell your parents, your dad goes, is this congratulations or condolences? <laughs> I'm like, I think it's Congratulations. And he's like, good, me too. Well, I don't know. Your mom was like, how did this happen? Yeah, and then I'm like, mom, you have a kid. I'm pretty sure you know how this happened. I don't need the talk. Yeah. We'll wait for that one. Or maybe the talk should have been more than handing me a box of condoms and saying, protect yourself if you're going to do that. <laughs> like, I didn't get any conversation from my dad. There's just my mom, like, kind of opening my bedroom door, throwing me a box and saying, be careful. <laughs> Like, okay. <laughs> well, that killed me. I was so nervous because I was really nervous about it. But we were, I was 23 at the time. We'd been together for five years. We owned a house. Like, it wasn't like this. Yeah, it wasn't like a one night stand or anything. <laughs> <laughs> or you weren't like 16. And yep, yeah. this is a little earlier than planned, but. <laughs> but it happened. It happened. 
yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I relate to Missy too, not in the late blooming style, but in that feeling, I always feel felt like an outsider, even amongst my group of peers, even amongst my friends. I would always feel like kind of like the one that was there to be the shoulder or there to listen to everybody else or there to congratulate everybody else on their accomplishments. And mine weren't thought of as that big of a deal or something that people should celebrate. So I relate to her on on that level because there is – because when you feel like that and you're seeing all your friends kind of get recognized and you're kind of just shrinking in the background, even when you're trying to not shrink in the background and you're trying to give attention and trying to get attention and trying to shine – And that can be very difficult when you're going through all those changes anyway, because you're like, is this the way I'm going to be my whole entire life? Is anyone really going to see me and know me and get to know who I am? Mm -hmm. So I definitely relate to her on that level. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, I would say out of all the characters, that's the one I relate to the most, but I think each character has on some level something that you can relate to, or at least for me, except for like, the Lola character, I don't really relate to her at all. I don't think. <laughs> yeah, she's she's probably my least favorite. She's just very. I don't even. I don't even know. She's she's the bully. I mean, I yeah. I I don't relate to her as in like see myself in her, but I can definitely label Lolas from my childhood. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Like I know that person. Yeah, as as far as relating to Missy goes, though, I too fantasize about Nathan Fillion on a spaceship. <laughs> well, who doesn't so, really? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, <laughs> I, I carry that card in my wallet. <laughs> <laughs> I can type it. Come on, I do. I do love the little Nathan Nathan Fillion stuff in there. That's pretty funny, pretty clever. But yeah, and I want to talk about the voice work because I think sometimes people forget that voice acting is acting is the same as other acting and it's I think harder in some ways because you don't have the physical you can't move your body you can't use your eyes none of that so what do you think about all the voice performances in the in the show yeah this this one's very near and dear to my heart because (laughs) I've done quite a bit of voice work and uh the like I I was first introduced to Nick Kroll on a show called The League, which is about a bunch of friends who play fantasy football and are terrible to each other. Um, And he was kind of like a, he was a really mean character and you only got to see like very small bright spots. And so I kind of, I'm sure like a lot of people do, I kind of associated that character with this person. And as I kept seeing him more and more in other things, I'm like, wait a minute, like this guy is a legitimately talented writer and comedian and he's a good person. And to see how much he has done on Big Mouth from all the voices, because he does Lola, he does Coach Steve, and he does Nick. And to see that, that skill of differentiation and being able to represent a character like Lola because she has a very, you know, tough, (laughs) thick skin. But there are moments where she gets very, very much humanized. Mm -hmm. And he does a really, really good job with those. And like you were saying, Aaron, the 
the the challenges of voice acting versus actually acting in person, whether it be stage, camera, whatever the case may be, there there's a couple different ways that they go about it. So a lot of times, whenever they can, they will try to kind of run lines across from each other in the same room so they can feed off that energy and they can make it as similar to like a stage performance as possible. Obviously in a pandemic world, it's all happening remotely, which makes it that much harder. Uh, They, they'll also, a lot of times when they're trying to find the character, like what, you know, what is the tone of the character? What's the voice of the character? How do I represent this character? They will look at kind of like a storyboard of what, this character is going to look like and maybe some of their behaviors and they will try to develop the voice, the tone, the personality off of that. Mm -hmm. Now to have to do all of that and, you know, a fair share of the writing and being, I mean, I'm pretty sure he's an EP, isn't he as Mm -hmm. well, you know, to, to be kind of one of the big pushers and almost like a showrunner. That to me is the showrunner. Well, yeah, but like that to me is, is a Herculean effort that he performs very, very deftly. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of the other characters kind of just get to be themselves. Like John Mulaney as Andrew Globerman, that's John Mulaney's voice. You know, maybe with a little sprinkle of Jerry Seinfeld on top of it. And uh, Jason Jay Manzoukas. is Jason Manzukis, And he, like, if you've seen Jason Manzukis in anything... That's just kind of him. <laughs> like he always has kind of that, like toe in the light socket type of energy to himself. And I, I don't know as much about uh, as Jesse. Uh, I forget who the actress is that plays her. Jesse Klein. Jesse Klein. I but the, the like the folks that I know in the show they either get to more or less play themselves or they have to, you know, completely put on the mask and become someone else like Maya Rudolph. Oh my Lord. When Maya Rudolph came in, I like, I've, I've always loved her as a comedian mm-hmm. and I know she's got the talent from all of her years on SNL, all the different voices that she's done there but to see her, like fully embody Connie. Like all I could think of, and I'm sure Meg got sick of hearing it was like Maya Rudolph has to be having so much fun playing this part because it is just this bananas over the top, you know, like what if you could be the alcoholic uncle and just, (laughs) you know, push all the wrong buttons (laughs) and like, like, Please run with it. Go, go, go. Well, and there's some really, really surprising actors on it. Kristen Bell. Yeah, yeah. Is mm-hmm. the pillow. There, yeah, there's a lot of like, like really surprising cameos. And... and I think that's so fun. I mean, there's a lot of really kind of high caliber. Like Sterling K. Brown mm-hmm. is in it. Natasha Leone is on it. Um, Nathan Fillion obviously is voicing himself and a yep. dog. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The introspective dog. Oh my um, God. <laughs> but then there's then there's the issue with Jenny Slate used to voice Missy, and 
with everything that's been going on with Black Lives Matters and talking about representation in media and how even with animated characters, black actors should be portraying black voices. Mm -hmm. Um, So Jenny Slate stepped down and, um, and and they made it a whole story arc for Missy of of discovering herself. Was how they overtly over the top called out what I'm sure they were probably called out on and remedied the problem. You know, it's like, Hey, you're right. This is an issue and this is how we're solving it. Well, and it, and it was, yeah, it was a really interesting storyline of her kind of having a bit of an identity crisis and trying to discover who she is and where she belongs in the world. And it does, it's right in the middle of like, I'm voiced by a 37 year old white woman and, mm-hmm. um, and how they, that changed at the end of season four for a black voice actor who's actually a writer on the show also. And I'm, I'm really bad with names. Uh, but her name is Ayo Edebiri. I I think I'm so bad with with names. Um, but to make that uh, a whole story arc instead of just switching the person who's doing it and not saying anything about it, I thought that was really interesting and, and a really powerful story. And then we get to see stories like from Devon, whose girlfriend or wife, <laughs> you know, like those thirteen year old marriages. Um, <laughs> Made him made him call himself Devin instead of Devon, and how he kind of loses being one of the only black kids in this really white suburban area. And they have that whole song about code switching and mm-hmm. and how and bringing that to light. And I think that's so cool and interesting about this show is it brings a lot of serious topics and makes them very easy to digest and understand. Yep, in a lot of ways, and it calls itself out as well on it so but i thought that was really interesting that's his he says most of everything about the voice acting because that's his jam yeah i mean because there's <laughs> and, and if if anyone out there really wants to kind of go down the rabbit hole of voice acting there is an amazing documentary out there on some streaming platform i'm sure uh called i know that voice and it's done by uh John DiMaggio, who is the voice of Bender from uh, Futurama. And he kind of pulls all of his Hollywood connections and strings to really kind of show you what it's like behind the scenes of voice acting and the, the effort that it takes. It's like, it's not like, can you do an impression? They say, you know, like if you can do an impression, that's fine. You're not a voice actor. You have to be able to do Shakespeare as that character, and then you might get a callback. Like that's the level you have to be at. And they they did a whole scene in that documentary where they had the person who currently voices Porky Pig reading Shakespeare. And they were just kind of like cycling through all the different people who do the Looney Tunes characters reading Shakespeare. And, like, that's the level that you have to be at. It's not just, oh, hey, I've got a fun Christopher Walken voice. You've got to be actually able to, like, represent that character throughout Mm -hmm. an entire, you know, emotional arc. I think I've counted four impressions that he's done. (laughs) It's awesome, though. (laughs) Lola Lola and... uh... No, you did another one. Okay. Yes, here. Well, I think, you know, too often in the industry, 
people who do comedy, number one, are looked down upon. It's looked down upon as like it's not as hard. And I think it's 10 times harder to be funny Mm -hmm. because you have to not try to be funny. You have to find the humor in just everyday moments and the mundane and in and to find that in something that is supposed to be so ridiculous and so off the wall like this show is really a talent. I mean, that's a huge talent and it deserves more respect than it gets in the industry. You know, I Mm -hmm. honestly think I think comedy and horror are the least respected genres in the industry and they deserve more respect because and with comedy, it just it it's it's a skill to be a comedian, to be funny. It's a skill. And that's why I think so many comedians and so much so many comedic actors are such good dramatic actors because they already have the same thing. mm -hmm, They already have that skill. And so now they have they're adding to it. So, yeah. Well, and I think and I think the distinction, though, is it's really difficult to do smart comedy. Yes. Like if you're just going to do pratfalls and stuff like that, then then, yeah, you can get people to laugh at you. But this show in particular is really good about first off being like that really out there kind of gross thing. There are layers to this show that mm-hmm. I think people don't I love how very much self-referential credit. it is. Yeah, they don't give it a ton of credit for that i don't think but yeah there's the really big out there kind of dick and fart jokes in the comedy but then there's really really smart comedy underneath it and there's really there's real kind of i'm trying i can't think of the word but it's more than just comedic it makes you think it you connect to it it gives you that kind of deeper level of just being comedy it's not and and I say just being comedy in quotation marks because, like I said, you can do dick and fart jokes. People are going to laugh at that. Yep. But this, I think, goes beyond that because comedy, I think, has many different layers. Yeah. And I, I think with this show specifically, you get – I mean, you get layers is the, is the appropriate way to look at it because you have the, you know, the over-the-top grossness – I mean, do they really just stop at pillows? (laughs) (laughs) Just pumping everything. But like, there's there's the over the top, you know, grossness. There's like the the next level of like, hey, there's there's actually like some subtext and a point that is being delivered there, and then the the stuff that that I really enjoy from the comedic standpoint is the self-referential aspect when like Nick and Andrew and Maury are all sitting on the, on a bed and they're like, how come never, no one ever told us about this stuff? You know, like we like, we've got sex ed and they never go over any of these things. You know, how are we supposed to know it? Someone should make a show about this. So we can actually see like our real experiences and and they're like, yeah, yeah, that would be a great idea. And then Maury's like, oh, my God, you can't do that. That would be child porn. Maybe you'd get away with it if it's animated. And they all stop and they basically break the fourth wall. It gets mm-hmm. really meta. And I'm like, that, yeah. like, that to me is is just uh, like that's that's my jam in comedy is where, like, where it gets self-referential. I mean, not as over the top like that, but, um, you know, where where we're doing like detailed layered callbacks and stuff like that. And that like that stuff is so difficult to write, let alone mm-hmm. to perform to a level where it 
actually hits home because if the especially at like a live show, you know, if the vibe in the room is just a little bit off from a comedy standpoint, those comedians have to be able to like assess in the moment whether or not they're going to continue down that path or take, you know, one of many different off ramps that they might have in effort to circle back around to where they feel would be uh, more accepted by the room that they're in. They have to read the room. Yes, they have to read the room. (laughs) And they have to be on their toes constantly. You constantly have to be on your toes. Yes, and constantly there and constantly listening um, and really paying attention and reading body language, I think, is another big thing because people might be giving you, quote unquote, pity laughs, I think, or nervous laughter, and it's not really what you want. Pity laughs is what I get the most. (laughs) (laughs) That wasn't a pity laugh I did did there, but... (laughs) He doesn't. I'm abstaining. He just doesn't laugh at me. <laughs> Twenty years. <laughs> <laughs> but you have to to find the truth in comedy. Like I said, I think that's when comedy works the best is when you're finding the truth in it, and when it isn't just relying on fart jokes and dick jokes and stuff like that. Because there's a place for that. But when you find that honesty, it makes it even funnier, I think, personally. Mm-hmm. That's what I find well, funny. I think so. the, the key to that is to get hyper-specific mm-hmm. in that referential material. You know, because you could talk about, like, the awkwardness of having a boner in class. And it's like, yeah, I'm sure, you know, like, it, it's not, it doesn't ring true like Jesse getting her period at the Statue of Liberty. Mm-hmm. Because, mm-hmm. granted, you weren't in New York, but, <laughs> like, that was, like, that was the horrifying trigger of, I know that feeling, for you. Yeah. And, you know, for, <laughs> for well, me, it was, you know, when when Andrew's, like, oh, my God, I made a mess in my pants. I have to go and get this cleaned up in the, you know, like, at from the school dance or whatever it was. Like, that's that's the awkwardness that I experienced. Like I was, I was at the open swim one year and I think I was 13 or something like that. And there was an older girl who was not popular in her grade, but she gave me more attention than I had ever imagined I would ever get. And then I was just like, I can't get out of the pool. Everyone's going to (laughs) see. And they're like, all right, open swim's done. I'm like, not yet, it's not. <laughs> <laughs> like, I, I I dropped a thing on the bottom. Uh, I'm just going to go swim for that until I die. <laughs> <laughs> and, yeah, so, like, it, it was the, you know, the hyper-specificity of, like, in a public situation and mm-hmm. stuff like that that really draws people to these different moments. Well, and, yeah, and, and it does, t- and obviously, this show has a ton of crude Mm-hmm. Really, really crude humor, but it does take those layers. Like looking at with Jesse's period, or when, like talking to her vagina and be voiced <laughs> by Kristen Wiig. Yeah, <laughs> Kristen Wiig, <laughs> and like trying to figure out how to put tampons in, or figuring out ma- like masturbating for the first time. And it's so different for girls than it is for boys um, when it comes to self pleasure. It's so it's much more shameful for girls, I think especially at that age, boys by just society is doing that. But her talking to her vagina on her period and she coughs and it's like, oops, sorry, clot. (laughs) (laughs) 
it's gross, but I'm like, yep, I, that yep. makes sense. <laughs> yep. It's very true. Or like, yeah. hi, I'm Mark, the regular tampon. I'm just, gonna, yeah. just the right size. <laughs> just trying to trying to figure that shit out especially when you don't have any adult helping you mm-hmm. or adults yeah. who are way too helpful like nick's parents that's still the creepiest part yeah <laughs> your breath smells like pussy dad i hope it always does <laughs> i want to <laughs> Fred I, once hilarious. Your, I once made your mother orgasm with a fan and a CB radio. Dad, I don't want to know. <laughs> she should have two orgasms before you even touch her. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it does. It does. I want to know. I want to just lastly, what I want to know is, do you think the show ever goes too far? Do you think it ever has pushed the boundaries too far? I, I don't necessarily think, I don't so. think so. I think what's really great about this show is it knows itself so much. So it really allows itself mm-hmm. to go to kind of live on the boundary, to live on the boundary, but it, it all feels very, very grounded. Like you have all of these outrageous situations, but it all feels very grounded in actual human experiences and mm-hmm. human emotions. Like we're able to, to to go further than I think we would be comfortable with if it were more like the Simpsons mm-hmm. or something like that. Like it's established that this is where it is and it, it allows you to kind of really deeply question some major issues. Like they talk about figuring out your sexuality is such a big thing. And well, and like the trans arc in season four. Yeah. Like for, that was a huge one for Natalie. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. talking about how she, how she got like this really hyper masculine aggressive hormone monster, and it scared her, and she didn't understand what was happening, mm-hmm. and so she gets hormone blockers, and kind of that visualization, really really helps, and it helps, and I think part of it is yeah, they do have these really really crazy outlandish things. I could live without Jay humping pillows, <laughs> like I I could live without that whole story arc, but. It goes so much deeper than just that situation. This is a kid who is completely neglected and doesn't have anybody that loves him or cares about him, really. His mom doesn't really is absent. His brothers are Horrible. awful <laughs> to him. He doesn't have any of that, and he finds the affection. And he, So he's a kid who has been completely left behind. Like, even the school is like, you don't come in on testing day because he drops the average so low, and, they, and everyone just kind of gives up on him. And so he's finding, he's figuring shit out the only way he knows how. And yes, he's His basically, <laughs> he's basically a dog. <laughs> Except his dog is more self-aware. Um, but he's just trying to, he's trying to find love and and figure stuff out without anybody there to kind of and help any him. any kind. Any kind. Love. Yeah. So I think... I think the fact that they're able to recognize and and they live on the, you're right they live on the boundary. I don't think I think the other thing that is done really well is the fact that they establish that very very early on. Mm. It's not like something that gets progressively weirder and out there. At, it's not like Game of Thrones. 
where you're you've been sold this bill of goods season after season, and at the end you're like, what the hell just happened? This is hey, we're going right here to the line, and mm-hmm. this is where where we're going to stay, and this is how we're going to operate, and this is how it's going to work, and you can choose right up front if that's something that you will buy into, and mm-hmm. if that's not your you know your cup of tea, that's totally fine. There's yeah. plenty of other, you know, and the only yeah, the only way that they can do that is because they lay such good groundwork for the characters mm-hmm. in it. Like you, you care what happens to these pe- to these kids. Yep. And because if it was just that, and it wasn't, and we didn't have any deeper levels with with that, I just think it would be obscene. And it is obscene in a lot of ways. It's very <laughs> crude. It's very gross in a lot of ways. But there's more to it than just that. Right. And if it was just that. It's not something that I would be watching at all. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. From what I saw, I wouldn't say it, it went too far with anything because it is what you it, what you're seeing is what you're going to get. And, you know, even though I was watching going, this is a real show. <laughs> this is a real <laughs> yeah. show that got made and got greenlit. I cannot believe this is a real show. But in a good way. I mean that in a good way because, you know, when we were talking about it, Um, before when we were prepping and you said that you know you prepared me for the fact that there was a character that impregnates a pillow I was just like on the one hand I was like no that's not real on the other hand I was like I've got to see this show so (laughs) it's like I don't know what that that says about me but (laughs) like how yeah how is it like you see this and how is it something that you see the storyline and you're like okay and you just kind of go with it (laughs) and this is also an award this is a a nominated shows it's nominated Mm -hmm. for Emmys it's been nominated for GLAAD awards um and I can't remember I think it's been Golden Globes but I'm not sure but it's it's really well done yeah it's yeah. so fucking weird. <laughs> well, I mean, that honestly, that goes a lot along with what you were saying, Aaron, about kind of disrespected genres. You see, you can see a lot of that within the horror realm as well. Like, I, I will never choose to sit down and watch a horror film because I don't personally enjoy being scared. But that does not mean that a horror, that every horror film is not a good movie. There are plenty of horror films that are like magnificent from many different perspectives, whether it's storytelling, artistic representation, photography, uh, writing, acting. That's just because it's not my cup of tea doesn't mean it's not a good cup of tea. And I think this is one of those situations where it's, you know, like I'm not a fan of kombucha, but if you like kombucha, this is the best one. You know, if you're not a fan of like of, of the you know over the top dick and fart jokes and like all the hypersexualized stuff, this probably isn't for you. But if you are, wow, you might be surprised at well, how good this is. And it's really interesting because I am not, I am not generally a fan of cartoons. Me either. Usually, me either. I I don't usually watch animated, even animated for adults and stuff like that. And I've heard really good things about a lot of different shows, like BoJack Horseman, and and Futurama. They're just not my jam. I don't know what it is about. I think no, I do know what it is about the show. I think the fact that I have a twelve-year-old kid, and I have a twelve-year-old nephew, really is what kind of kept me watching and going through it because I did. I do see a lot of value in what they're doing from 
a parental aspect. And like I said, I wish they had one that was more appropriate. They had something like this that's more appropriate um, for for kids mm-hmm. to watch because it's just so wholly and completely inappropriate for children. <laughs> but any kind of there isn't anything like that for kids to watch that deals with the reality of what it's like yeah, to through. be in this in this mm-hmm. time. And I don't know if you can make something that's necessarily appropriate because yeah. it's inherently—it's inherently yeah. inappropriate. Like mm-hmm. nothing is, nothing is wired correctly yet for them. Well, and as, as we've already established, I'm basically twelve, so that's why I like it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I'm with you, Meg. I'm not an animated fan. I there's only a couple of animated films I actually like. Um, we are going to be doing uh, an episode later on about uh, this year about the last airbender and that <gasps> series. <laughs> I'm so excited. See, I, I, love like, I love Disney movies and animated Disney movies, but adult animation is never something that I've, I've, you gotta, you gotta have Carla on for that episode. She is. She's already signed <laughs> up for that episode. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> We've had many deep discussions about that show. Yes, yes, she's and already Marty's she's already on that one. Yeah, I think that one's already like I think it's already full. I'll I'll check, but yeah, we're doing that one, and and because I know there are so many fans of that genre, and while I'm not a fan of it, it doesn't mean that we shouldn't still cover it and talk about it, or that I can't discover something I might actually like about it. Like I would have never watched this show if we hadn't done this episode, to be honest, <laughs> and I'm glad I did because I discovered a really good show, and it was really entertaining and funny and has a lot to say. That's the thing is that it has a lot to say. Makes you feel like you're probably high. <laughs> a little bit, yeah. <laughs> oh, I loved that when they got high. That was yeah. just the funniest. Oh my gosh, that was so funny. <laughs> I loved that. That was that was hilarious. I can't remember what the name of that episode was where they got high. I I can't remember either. It's uh, so much of watching this has just been like a continuous binging. Yeah. yeah. Watching it, of, so so yeah, episodes kind lines. of bleed in together, and it kills. Me. We haven't really even had a chance to talk so much about the mental health aspects of this show and how representative that is. I think that's I don't know. I think that's really There's cool. a lot of good. The depression kitty kind of and and Tito the anxiety mosquito. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and it just and it does a really. It, I just think it does a really good job kind of depicting not only the physical changes and the hormonal changes that you're going through, but the, the mental aspects, like when there's an episode where Nick's addicted to his phone. And I think that's a very real, especially right now. Well, And into the the porn scape where Andrew's addicted to porn. Yeah. Yeah. That's a real thing. That is absolutely a real thing. And how easy it is to kind of fall into, fall into that. Um, And then I think it's it's actually honestly the finale of season four where we see Nick kind of closing in on himself and and trying to protect himself and becoming this Nick star persona rather than who he is because he feels so insecure and so anxious about stuff. Um, and they get out of it with the help of Zach Galifianakis, the, the gratitude. gratitude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, and just kind of and and normalizing those feelings. And and mm-hmm. those mental health issues that people are going through, well, and, and, and normalizing them... how tough it is to start to have those conversations. Because Jesse's mm-hmm. like, "Oh my god, I can't deal with this. Like for real, you want me to talk to a 
plateaued about being thankful for like how the what like how is this going to help me and they just kind of keep circling around from a different point from a different point and then eventually she does it she's like you know i i actually do feel better like maybe there is something to this so to like represent the the hesitation mm-hmm. and then like eventually the acceptance of oh crap wow it actually works <laughs> well also kind yeah. of making it on that there are some things with depression or anxiety and stuff that you can't just have an exercise of gratitude right. to yeah. take care mm-hmm. of that you need more help than that and then mm-hmm. that's okay you know and well and, and that like you know to let people in to help you because mm-hmm. that was like that was the big thing for nick at the end was him using the things that all of his friends had taught him on how they have dealt with their problems and trusting them. Yeah. And, and allowing them, allowing himself to be like vulnerable to the point of admitting he has this problem and, you know, using those skills that they have honed with, you know, from his own perspective to overcome his own Tito. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and we're going to be talking in a few weeks about depictions of mental health depictions and mental illness and how that's depicted in media and the histories of how wrong it has been done Mm -hmm. and still is. And so that is a very, very important thing um, to try and depict. And it's important for adults really to still understand that. I mean, there still is that thing of just it's not real because it's not something you can quote unquote physically see. I think you can physically see it in a way, but it's not something that's the same as a broken foot or something like Mm -hmm. that. So I think it's very important to continue those conversations and to have them and to see that it's just as important to take care of the mental as it is the physical. And we often neglect that part or think we'll just mask it with something else so it is very important to have those discussions. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. A lot going on in this show. I mean, <laughs> Somehow all of this is, all these poignancies is tied into the same show where one boy gives birth to poop. So yeah. big. Twin poop babies. Twin poop babies in front of all of camp. Yep. <laughs> Somehow. <laughs> Yeah. Well, and I think that's why people like the show so much. That would be my guess is why it's so popular. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, thank you both for being on. And thank you, Marty. We have you scheduled to be on a couple more shows. So, yeah, yeah Doctor Who in just a couple weeks. So that should be a lot of fun. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and close out. And if you want to say where you can be found and where your podcasts can be found, Meg. We'll start yep. with you. Uh, you can find my podcast with Carla, Bed, Wed, or Behead. Uh, you can find us on all things at Bed, Wed, Behead Pod. You can listen to our podcast on all of the major uh, yep. listening spots. Wherever you get podcasts, you can find Bed, Wed, or Behead. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and I can, I can be found at Marty Podcasts just about everywhere. So uh, I actually help people start their podcast or answer podcasting questions that they have. So uh, I helped Megan Carla get going and um, quite a few friends of mine who have started podcasts. So you can find me on Twitter at Marty podcast. I'm starting a TikTok. That feels weird to say, but that's also at Marty podcasts. <laughs> um, so we'll, 
we'll see. You, know, you, you can find me. Just ask Meg. Who am I kidding? That's that's how my life runs. <laughs> Honestly. <laughs> and Meg. and it's just like your schedule for a few things as if he had anything to do. <laughs> that's true. And just like, that's hey, true. you're going to talk about that. Big Mouth with me. <laughs> okay. <laughs> that is true. Meg did do the signing up, but <laughs> but you're stuck now, okay. so. <laughs> well, and eventually, um, you know, and Carla and I were talking about it on a recent episode that we are, I'm going to be back on Bed, Wed, Behead because we're going to be playing it with um, Jason Voorhees, Michael Myers, and Freddy Krueger. Remember? That's actually going to mm-hmm. happen. Yeah, that'll be, <laughs> that'll be interesting. It'll be a, a, a new well, I'll format. I'll be sleeping with the lights on for a while. <laughs> no, it'll be, it's a new, it'll be a new format where I don't have any idea because I'm not watching any of those movies and I'm just going to play... <laughs> Based on what I can Google. <laughs> oh, that one will be a fun one. I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to so. bed Freddy for his sweater game. <laughs> <laughs> this is Erin. You can follow me on Twitter at EAprilBeauty. The E and the A and the B are capitalized. Be sure to like the show on Facebook at Facebook.com slash It's a Fandom Thing Pod. On Twitter at Fandom Thing Pod. No, it's in that one. On Instagram at It's a Fandom Thing Pod. If you have any feedback, show notes, anything like that, feel free to reach out to us via email at It's a Fandom Thing Pod at gmail.com. And on our next episode, speaking of horror and comedy, we have the writer, director, and star of Scare Me, a movie I've mentioned on this podcast a couple times. It's been on Shudder. It's now available on Video On Demand. You can also purchase the Blu-ray, but we have Josh Rubin on, and he is an awesome, awesome guy. He's really funny, too. You should YouTube, you should go YouTube him, uh, which sounds weird, but you should go search for him on YouTube. <laughs> But no, he's a really great guy, and I think it's a really good interview. So looking forward to sharing that one. And then also just a reminder, our 100th episode, our 100th episode, I keep having to repeat that because it's really hard to believe, is coming up on Tuesday the 9th, and Meg will be back for that one. So that'll be a lot of fun. (laughs) Until next time, remember, it's a fandom thing and Black Lives Matter. Thank you again for listening to It's a Fandom Thing. Be sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and follow us on all your favorite podcast platforms. Our logo was designed by Brooke Belly with cover art by Carla Timmies. Additional research was done by Megan Archuleta. Our Instagram and Facebook content producer and creator is Erin Amos. And our producer is Lila Tafola. I'm your host, Erin Marlowe. And remember, keep that fandom spirit alive. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, podcast listener. Do you love talking about movies, music, TV, comics, and games? Then you should be listening to the great pop culture debate back in bigger than ever for season nine. This season, the panelists discuss the best James Bond film, the best Elton John single, the best Nickelodeon original series, the best Batman villain, and so much more. Find the show wherever you listen to podcasts 
or head to greatpopculturedebate.com. More than 100 topics are already available. Subscribe today.